Welcome to TA1. Everything you wanted to know about adventure racing and then some. I'm your host, legendary Randy Erickson, and today's episode is I'm calling with the quiet man, um, Roy Malone. I, I call him the quiet man because not a lot of fanfare in his racing. He's just kind of there, been racing forever got some cool stories and he just just is steady and always shows up and does a good job so um, quite honestly I think he's you know, as good as almost anybody here in the US so very interesting uh, conversation that we had this was actually a few weeks ago um, fortunately for me I am able to get a little bit ahead once in a while um, with my interviews so this is a, I don't think there's anything time sensitive about it. Uh, one thing we talk about, Roy is one of the, uh, I don't know, board of directors or consultants or helping out with the new Primal Quest. And we talk a little bit about that and the fact that he's done every Primal Quest and therefore will probably be at Tahoe on the starting line. Plus it's in his backyard. How could you not be there? So. Uh, other news, been some movement on a couple of things for me. Maybe we're going to work out uh, to be doing some filming with a team that can't be named. And uh, in the real world, picked up a really cool job today. Going to keep me busy for the rest of the year. Um, and it's a really cool uh, friend of Paulette's, and she's like, yeah, just uh, whatever you need to do. If you got to be gone, be gone. We'll get it done, so... Uh, that was that's pretty cool. Um, other than that, not too much going on around here. It's kind of springtime, so I've been uh, been out getting some training, and uh, that's with the quotation marks in it for me. So, but uh, doing some nav stuff, setting some controls and things like that for uh, Paulette and Danger Girl. Hopefully, maybe some of the rest of the team will be here this summer and uh, can work on that. So, I've probably rambled enough. Let's see. I don't know if we got any links this week, um, but uh, we'll find something. So, look in the show notes. And I guess with that, um, let's hear what Roy had to say. So, go fast, take chances, and thanks Hi, for listening. Hi, Roy. It's Randy Erickson. Randy, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing fantastic, thanks. Good. So you are you ready for this? Have you studied? <laughs> I didn't know there was a homework assignment. Oh, oh, oh you, I'm you not didn't. ready then. Oh, okay. Well, then we'll just wing it. How's that sound? <laughs> that sounds great to me. So, um, how you been? Uh, I have been extremely busy, as I mentioned to you via email. Um, you know, the, the banking sector keeps uh, those of us that are in it um, extremely busy trying to keep up with all the new regulations. So yeah. um, luckily we got through our audit fine and, and off now to uh, getting ready for the season. So uh, what's what's first on your agenda then? Uh, good question. <laughs> we are going to try and finalize that here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, a couple of really... Uh, interesting opportunities obviously are, are coming up this year. Mm -hmm. um, really intrigued by the Alaska race. Uh, love the off-trail pack raft type of experience that that race looks like it's going to be. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've done every single one of the primal quests, so having that come back to uh, the United States and, and being a, um, a pretty neat um, race is something that we're seriously considering as well yeah plus it's you can drive to the start <laughs> it's in my backyard so that makes it nice for sure so um and i will i would really like to come back to the primal quest later but um because that is kind of very interesting to me so so you're just kind of scoping out the season right yeah and we usually um we usually kind of figure things out the first quarter Traditionally, the races obviously are summer and, and fall, and um, you know, with 
with most of us being working professionals, as I know a lot of other races are as well, yeah. um, you know, you only have a, a certain finite number of weekends that you can sacrifice for vacation and or family. Um, so we try and reconcile that first quarter um, and then nail down two or three races that we want to get done uh, for the year. So those two, and, and obviously Worlds is always, is always something that uh, – is, is fun to participate in and having it be back in Brazil and Ecomotion puts on a, a terrific program down there. Um, that's something that if our schedules will allow it, I'd like to get done too. Yeah. Yeah. If, if anybody from Ecomotion is listening, it's like at least answer my emails. <laughs> uh Oh, <laughs> well, you know, it takes, it takes a year of uh, let's I'll flat out say begging, you know, usually to get get anything out of anybody so but it's hard well, to beg when they i don't know if they even get the emails <laughs> well do you, do you send them in portuguese because maybe they uh, <laughs> uh i will have to get my friend philippe to translate for me so there you go how well, they, they do put on they do put on a really good race we did that in uh oh either 05 or 06 and um it's it's really well put on it's muddy as hell but it's it's yeah. a great race yeah, it sounds like it's a really interesting area where they're going to also. The, yeah. The Pantal. So how do you how do you balance everything? Training, racing, family, banking? Or are you just one of those people uh, that can do all that? Uh you know, it's it is definitely a challenge. Yeah. Um but you know, consists of 4:30 a.m. wake-up calls and getting on the spin bike at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, you just, you know, you do what you need to do. Yeah. And you know, adventure racing is just a lifestyle uh, for me anyway. And if I didn't do it, I wouldn't be quite uh, quite as happy um, without it. So yeah. I think you just—it's one of those things where if you want it bad enough, you find the time. No, I, I. Uh... I was gonna say I understand that, but I really I live with it. There, there's a lot of nights Paul that comes up at eleven o'clock at night after, you know, finishing your bike workout, and it's just like, crawl into bed, and yeah, and then she's up at like you are to go swimming. So, I think yeah. that's why I like the uh, f- photographing part because it's like, I don't have to be up at four thirty in the morning. I can do mine <laughs> after work. <laughs> Well, I mean, you're you're not the just a photographer that sits on a rock a rock and waits for the racers to go by. I mean, you're yeah. uh, you know you're active. You're getting it done. I mean, you know the feeling. Yeah, but what I but what I do say is, all I do is carry a pack with a camera in my hand for a long time. But I am really good at that. So that's what I train at. You know, me and Chili are yeah. out every night. So <laughs> you you do that. Um, how, how did you get started in this game? Cause you're, uh, I don't want to say a, uh, old school, but you're kind of an old school guy. Yeah. One of the long tubes in the, in the sport. Yeah. Um, let's see. I started back in 99 mm-hmm. and, uh, for those who were around before the mud runs, there was a, a race series called high tech, uh, high tech adventure races. And it was kind of the precursor to today's mud runs. And uh, there was one in Granite Bay, uh, California, close to where I live. It was a, I don't know, two-hour or so event. And that was kind of my introduction to multi-sport. I'd always been runner, a runner and a, and a biker. But just the whole team concept and strategy uh, was really compelling. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of those transformed uh, into a race series here in California called the Cal Eco uh, Adventure Race Series, which was a um, series of 24-hour events put on by a guy named Dan Barger back in the early 2000s. And we did pretty well at those. And so we decided to take our team overseas, and the first expedition race that I did was the Southern Traverse in uh, 2001 in, in uh, New Zealand, in Queenstown. And, um, you know, it just, it blew my mind. Just the, 
the terrain, the spirit of uh, adventure, the logistical challenge of um, competing in a completely foreign territory mm-hmm. was um, a heck of a lot of fun. And um, we did well. I mean, we placed fifth. And um, one of the my most favorite memories of that race was about two-thirds through the race, we were head-to-head with um, another New Zealand Kiwi team. And one of the teammates looked over and, and said, what are you Yanks doing up here? <laughs> um, basically intimating that, you know, U.S. teams never came over and did very well. So that was the introduction expedition racing, and it just kind of took off from there. So um, We ended up getting – sorry, go ahead. No, it, it's – it's addictive, isn't it? It is. Uh, and we were fortunate uh, enough early on to get hooked up with a corporate sponsor, uh, Subaru. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, obviously, in the ethos of kind of what they promote, they were a huge supporter of the sport and our team. And we were able to take that sponsorship and, and really race around the world for a good solid four years. And... Um, that that exposed us to all kinds of different cultures and environments and and people that obviously you never get to meet, uh, or I would never have gotten to met, meet had I not uh, been racing. So it's been it's been a great ride. Well, would you, without adventure racing, would you have been a stay at home kind of person? <laughs> no, okay. no, I wouldn't have been a stay at home kind of person, but. Um, it's physical activity is just, I think it's just something that it motivates you to get up, get out and get yeah. something done. But yeah. I certainly would have been exposed to the countries and the people and the, the AR community that, uh, that the sports brought, um, brought to bear. Well, you definitely in a, when you're in a foreign country, you, you are not on the tourist itinerary, are you? No, no. Unfortunately, with you know, one of those things uh, that that you obviously have to deal with having a family and and being a you know having a full time profession is that you you end up getting to a race start a couple of days before the race starts, and then you typically leave the day after it, it finishes. So there's not a lot to see from a traditional um, standpoint, mm-hmm. from a sightseer standpoint. Yeah. But I'll I'll take the sunrises and the sunsets and the mountains and the rivers all day long over at the museums. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I the only thing I saw of Quito was out the bus window while we were driving from one where to another, and there was a lot of places. It's like, man, I'd like to see that. Yeah. So, did you? I mean, you said you before your first adventure race, you had some biking and running, but. What was your, did, were you athletic growing up? Did you, you know, was this just a continuation? Yeah, I think I was more of a frustrated athlete than anything else. Um, I grew up in a, a little town called Coloma, which is on the American River outside of Sacramento. And uh, I've always enjoyed sports, but primarily team sports. But unfortunately, because back in the day, school was an hour or so from where I lived, there was no way to really participate in, in team sports mm-hmm. um, because I couldn't commute back and forth to practices, didn't have rides and whatnot. So I did a lot of trail running and, and a lot of biking. That was before mountain bikes, um, but road biking in the hills and along the trails of uh, the Coloma area growing up. And it just became, again, one of those things you did to, in lieu of, of traditional team sports. So, and uh, as I got older, I just continued to do the same. So, you're not a you're into sports, but you didn't have a chance to do stick and ball sports. Do you, Do you think no. you would have? Do you think you would have? And and would you have been good at them if you could have? <laughs> I mean, I, kind of a, that's an old question, or a long time ago, maybe, so to speak. But I, I, I yeah, who knows? Um, <laughs> I, I did play soccer in high school. I played it. Um, you know, as high a level as you could back in the day. But 
um, yeah, there's nothing like getting out and exploring as part of your outdoor exercise. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. for me, that's as much of the reason to race as anything Yeah, is to kind of put on your discovery hat and make that part of just the overall process of getting out there and, and stretching the legs and, and doing it in the competitive nature with really three really good friends. Yeah. So are you, have you always been a let's see what's over the next ridge kind of guy? Yeah. yeah. Love it. Yeah. Yeah, it I love, seems, love the discovery. Yeah, it seems to be, I think that's a big part of being an adventure racer is that, and it's hard to be a modern explorer, isn't it? Because, you know. Where do you go where nobody's been? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, it's a, when you go to different places in the world mm-hmm. and you, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to get outside of the urban core and just go. Yeah. And um, it is fun to go look at a ridge, bag it, find out what's on the other side and, and determine whether or not you're up for the next challenge and keep going or whether you turn back. Um, even in California, there's some pretty cool places that there's not a lot of other folks. Now you're not going to discover any new worlds that way, but um, you know, little mini environments mm-hmm. and there's certainly a lot of challenges out there. Yeah. Well, so then my next question is when you train, are you, are you a next Ridge guy or are you, little more structured in your workouts or both totally next ridge guy okay yeah you know i yeah unfortunately you got to be when when uh your your schedule's so packed so i my kids all play competitive sports and and so if i'm down at a a tournament for instance in palm desert between games you you go find a a big ridge to climb and Mm -hmm. and uh you get your couch done that way yeah. Which is, yeah. I don't know, for me, it's it's much better than a rigid track or yeah. certain set number of hours. Uh, it just, just keeps things lively. Yeah, keep keep it loose and lively. So um, do you do that a lot when you take the kids? Do you, do you sometimes say, well, why don't you go to this tournament? Because we've never been there. So you get a chance to... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I wish I had that kind of control. Um <laughs> No, it's more like you 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 kind of um, you kind of plan around wherever you're going to be. So I'll be down in the Bay Area at a lacrosse tournament this weekend, and and on the way back, I'll just have my wife drop me off about 100 miles from the house, and I'll just bike home. So mm-hmm. those kind of things. You just do what you need to do to get it get your miles and your hours in. Yeah, that's uh, we've we've both been there, Paul and I. When we lived in eastern South Dakota, which is dead flat. Every once in a while, you'd get one of those 40-mile-an-hour wind days, and, and we'd flip a coin, and we'd literally drive, you know, 60, 70 miles into the wind, and then whoever got to ride home because, you know, you could average 30 miles an hour. So. <laughs> it, uh, well, South Dakota is a beautiful country. Uh, if you got a chance to live there, that's I'm sure you had some nice adventures out, out in South Dakota. Yeah, this end, this this side of the state. The east side of the state, not so much. So Okay. You, yeah, we're, I, you probably don't know this, but we actually live less than 400 meters from one of the checkpoints at the Sil- of the Silver City orienteering course. So, oh, is that right? Yeah, I mean, just just down the trail from it. So. Well, then I was right next to your house a, a few you months ago. You were right next to the house. That yeah. I actually got to sleep in my bed one night during Primal Quest, so. It was only two hours, but it sure felt nice. <laughs> oh, man, I, now that I know that, next time I'm up in that area, I'll have to stop by. Uh, you know, the next one is in your area. <laughs> yes. Or you can stop by my place. How's that? <laughs> okay, that sounds like a plan. So, um, well, you you know Mike Chastain, don't you? Yeah, of course. Yeah. He's uh, he's on Paulette's team with her. So. Oh, Good. Yeah, Mike's a, Mike's a great guy. She'll have a lot of fun. I don't know if she's raced with Mike before, but um, he's a super guy. Yeah, he actually um, paced her one night last year at the Tahoe 200. So um, we kind of met through Elisa and Barkies. 
Yep. And, you know, done a lot of stuff and she's given us a lot of them. And, and, uh, when we went out for the Tahoe last year, we're like, um, can we borrow a car for a week? <laughs> and fortunately for us, but not for her, that's when Elisa was just finished her back surgery. She said, yep, you can take our car. So, and then, uh, so yeah, he came up and paced her one night and she was just like, yeah, I'd race with Mike anytime. So, so they're doing a well, non, non-traditional team. So it's three women and Mike. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Excellent. Well, good, good for them. I mean, the, the Tahoe region is just unbelievably beautiful and, um, and challenging. And obviously at elevation, that presents a whole different yeah. uh, dynamic, mm-hmm. not quite Ecuador elevation, but, yeah. um, <laughs> elevation nonetheless so um i'm looking forward to racing up there yeah it's it's we really enjoyed being there so and i'm and i'm shooting so it'll be a good trip so excellent well since we got here to primal quest if you don't mind and i guess you wouldn't mind because you agreed to come talk to me could you since you've done all the primal quest could you just kind of walk us through your history maybe just the highs and and lows of of each year and and your kind of impressions because you know i know a little bit about some of the races but it'd be really interesting to see what what you thought about the different ones are you talking about primal quest specifically yeah yeah okay uh yeah i'm getting old so my memory is not great anymore but (laughs) uh tell your ride was obviously number one Mm -hmm. Um, started at 9,000 feet, had a lot of elevation gain and loss. Um, it was a relatively short and fast race. And I think we finished eighth, uh, in that race. Um, the most memorable part of that race, I guess, for me is, uh, we were coming down Bridal Veil Falls and one of the ropes actually got frayed on the way down and the my teammate, which is right behind me, ended up getting the sheath of the rope actually got jammed in his in his belay device, and he had to be rescued. That was right at the end of the race. Mm-hmm. So it was really frustrating because there was there was uh, multiple lines, and the team that we were ahead of, Subaru Canada, was right behind us, and they ended up being able to pass us at that portion at that stage. Um, but we're, you know, like so many people in this sport. Um, ethical enough to say hey you know what is a equipment malfunction let's go in together so we actually ended up finishing that race together which was kind of which is kind of cool yeah <clears throat> that's um, really number- really something you see well i don't know if you see it a lot but it's kind of cool when that happens i do i mean our our team sees it quite a bit and i know there's really? stories of of uh non-cooperation and um but I can't think of a I can't think of a race offhand right now where it, it, it became antagonistic or um, I, I've just seen nothing but real camaraderie out there on the race course with teams. Well, it is, you know, it is the AR family I like to call it. So, yeah, of course yep. you're going to fight with your brother once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's plenty of infighting on the team for sure. Yeah. <laughs> in um, number two was Tahoe. Mm-hmm. Um, Tahoe was a uh, god. That was a crazy race. You know, we had the the introduction of the four person kayaks, um, <laughs> which I think a handful of them ended up in the bottom of of Lake Tahoe because <laughs> of a equipment malfunction. Um, just a just a crazy way to start um, yeah. a race. Um, then we had inline bikes or inline blades biking up a super steep uh, uh, summit to a, a long mountain bike. And it was just, it's, it was neat for me because I got a chance to see places that I was familiar with um, in kind of a new light and with teammates that necessarily hadn't seen it before. So it was almost like a, um, I don't know, a, a sightseeing tour in a familiar area huh. where I was able to share kind of the, the crown jewels of, of Tahoe with um, some folks that hadn't been there before. So that was that was a ton of fun. Um, number three was 
Washington, hmm. and we all know the story yeah. uh, on Washington. I mean, it was Nigel was a was a friend, um, and you know, I don't know what to say beyond what's already said in terms of yeah. just the real tragedy behind what happened. No, um, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah, that's that's a. Um, a part, a part of the history, but we don't need to talk about it that much. We just talked about it enough. <laughs> yeah, and the and the reality is, um, at least I, all I can do is speak for myself. There are many times in in many races around the world where uh, a misstep or a, a bad decision will create some tragic results. And honestly, I'm I'm really surprised there hasn't been. Uh, more serious injuries, and I think part of that obviously is everybody's looking out for each other. Yeah. And the advantage of racing as a team. Um, but anyway, Washington was an incredible country. It was um, really a neat part of the world. But the overall race itself was, you know, it was just hard. Yeah. It was very emotional, and um, you know, it was one that, after the fact, was almost like a uh, a tribute. Than, than a competitive race. Mm, yeah, yeah. At least that's the way we saw them. Well, okay, let me just ask you one question. Do you think, for you personally, it was easier to keep racing and then sort of process it later than if you had stopped racing? That's a good question. Um, I think, for me anyway, it was some therapy. Mm. Um, I don't know that it would have been, I think it would have been harder to sit in a hotel room or, um, not, not being active. I mean, yeah. when I need to clear my head, I go out and exercise. Yeah. When yeah. I need to think strategically or creatively, I go out and exercise. Uh, that just helps with, with the process for me. So if I were not doing something, I think it would have been harder. Yeah. Can I, can I ask a question about that process though? Cause because that's what I find. If I'm got some sort of a project in mind or thinking about something, I'll go out and not consciously be thinking about it, but I'll almost have an aha moment and I see what to do. Does is that how it works for you? Absolutely. It's it's not a it's not a focus mm -hmm. on something while you're running. It's almost the liberation of not having to think about something mm -hmm. where there's something interesting about the brain that just says, that's the answer. Mm -hmm. yeah. so that's it. That's an option you ought to consider. Okay. So. okay, number four. Number four was uh, was the desert race in Utah. Okay. Holy Toledo. Um, <laughs> that was one hot mother. Um, that was an interesting one. Um, that was Don Mann's first. Uh, managed Primal Quest, mm -hmm. and the start of the race was all on horses. Uh, well, I should say one person was on a horse. Together, mm -hmm. uh, we're running alongside the horse. But it was a dawn. Never forget it. Um, you know the drama of a helicopter cresting the horizon and doing a flyover right before the race started, and then the you know it started with a gunshot. Well, you can imagine what a gunshot and a helicopter does to a bunch of horses mm -hmm. in a you know a high stress environment where racers are already on edge. Um, it was just mayhem. Um, you know, fortunately, we were able to avoid getting bucked off and losing our horse, and uh, got through that portion of it. A couple of real quick funny stories. Yeah. Um, you know Miguel from, um, I guess, Peak Performance now? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Swedish racer? Yep. So so he, as I understand it, he rode the horse the whole way. Um, a lot of us either put our packs on it or didn't ride or, or took turns riding. But I'll never forget, it, I think it was a day or two into the race, getting to a, um, a checkpoint or transition area and hear this just screaming from the first aid tent and I went in to get my feet worked on and, and looked over and there's Mikhail 
bent over um, having tape being ripped off his hind end, pulling all the dead skin because he had been used to writing before. <laughs> um, that guy's pain tolerance is off the charts. Wow. So he, he then went on to put uh, a foam pad on top of his bike seat and, and finish that race and how he did it with a totally bare back end uh, wow. just still blows my mind. But anyway, that, that was uh, one memorable part of of Utah, the other would would have been going through. I think it was, I think it was Hell's Canyon. It was right after we got through Moab, middle of the day, and it was 105, 106, something like that. We were chasing Team Dart, and um, who are, are great friends, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're chasing them through through a canyon, and all of a sudden, Ryan Van Gorder um, picks up his bicycle and starts walking towards really what was nothing. Uh, it was the cliff of, the vertical cliff of um, the canyon we were in. And then all of a sudden he just drops on his back and the bike falls on top of him and he just starts shaking. And, you know, we all run over to see what's going on and, and he's actually lost consciousness. So the eyes are up in the back of his head and, and his heart rate's at 180. Um, and we essentially spent 20 minutes trying to cool him down. We hosed him off, um, tried to provide as much shade as we could, and and he still wouldn't come to. So we ended up, um, luckily we had sat phones, and and we called it in, and and a helicopter came out and evacuated him out. Um, As I understand it, when he got to the hospital, he was put into kind of a a medical-induced coma for a bit. Wow. Um, But fortunately, as Everybody in the AR community knows he not only survived it, but uh, went on and continues to race uh, in an extremely uh, competitive level. Um, So it's one of those situations. It's you know it 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 galvanizes kind of the the theory that you know racing with a team is is all about trusting your teammates to help you survive some really really tough environments. No, that's yeah, it's pretty amazing that. And, you know, that's not a normal situation even for adventure racers in daily life is that, but you kind of just deal with it. I mean, to me, that's sort of what adventure racing is, just a a series of dealing with it. (laughs) You you have to, right? Otherwise you wouldn't, you wouldn't ever do it if it weren't just one of those, uh, you put it in the back of your head, hey, you just got to do it. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it just gets done and it just. You know, it goes on and on. It's, it, and sometimes it's not as uh, dramatic as that. It's, you know, just, oh, you know, you're, all the skin off your heel has fallen off, but you just deal with it. You know? Yep. It's, uh, some graduate student needs to cycle, analyze adventure racers. Cause there's, there's, there's something wrong with your guys' brains. <laughs> oh, no, no. I would say there's something right with our brains. Yeah. I, I agree, but, yeah. You know. <laughs> You know, if you've never adventure raced before and you're thinking about it, don't listen to the last three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to scare anybody. Yeah, so. Um, um, so race. And, well, race, Moab had that ropes course. It had yeah. multiple ropes courses. Yeah. yeah. What? What? And I've heard, oh, God, it was 20 miles long. What really was the ropes course like in Moab? Or the, you know, um, what were what well, were they like? There was a series of them. Um, you know, there was there was repelling, there was ascending, there was uh, you know we hit them at various times during the day and night. Um, obviously, I think the 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 biggest one was the priest the nuns, mm-hmm. which was a series of uh, I don't know what you call them, but super tall, high cliffs that kind of come straight out of the, uh, the desert and, uh, we jugged up one side and rappelled down the other and then jugged up another tall one and had a humongous rappel from, I think it was the priest to the nun or maybe the nun to the priest. And we got through it pretty easily. It was spectacular, but there was also a lot of teams that, um, 
couldn't partake because of lightning. And um, uh, but it was it was spectacular. Wow! Yeah, it sounds cool. But in in what I've heard is it was actually part of the course. I mean, it wasn't. Here's some rocks. Let's go up and down, and then continue on your way. Yeah. No, it was it was to get from point A to point B. Yeah, which is, uh, let's face it, not doesn't happen all the time anymore with the ropes course. <laughs> yeah. So. No, he they spent a lot of time with uh, with really thinking through that, and yeah. and it and it was great. It was a lot of fun to race. Cool. So, uh, Montana. Montana. Um, I the think Gallatin. Did... <laughs> What's that? The Gallatin River. Yeah, very good. Yeah, anyone who raced that race um, will will remember the the riverboarding in Class Four Rapids. Um, I, I personally enjoyed it. I loved it. Um, but I grew up around the river and I spent many years guiding whitewater. So I'm fairly comfortable in it, but I can imagine if, if I weren't used to reading water and, and being comfortable being kind of pushed around by it, that would be a very scary, uh, four or five, six hours. Yeah. And it was really cold. I mean, frigid. (laughs) which added to the, the challenge. So, I actually just talked to uh, Masha Glanville earlier this week, and she doesn't have very fond memories of it, of that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know too many people who have. Uh, no. But it's, uh, actually, I think the guys from, um, uh, oh, Tobin and, and, and Michael, I think they went out after the race and, and did it for fun. Uh, memory serves me correct. Yeah. Um, so we yeah. ended up. That was actually we took third that race. So that was probably our. Uh, it was our best finish in in primal. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of footwork, a lot of uh, miles running. Um, beautiful country. I think the biggest challenge I had with Montana was that you would have these spectacular mountain ranges, and you'd you'd go up and over and along them and, and on the tail end of it, there would be long stretches before you hit the next one. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the mountain biking was, was flat. And, um, and so that mentally was a challenge. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. The, the mountain bike was just getting from, from a to B on that race. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, and as a side note, um, that was my first exposure to Primal Quest because we were there that weekend running a 50k, and oh. up on the, up on the uh, Bridger Ridge, and ran into a few of the teams. So it's uh, that's that's where I well you know I'd watched them on TV and things like that, but that was my first real exposure to it, and it was like these are kind of these are kind of fun people. <laughs> so. Well, uh, that you that you found fun people on Bridger Ridge. That's uh, that's impressive. Um, that was that was not easy. Yeah. You know, it is. It is. You know, they say it's big country. It really is. I mean, yeah. once you're up on top, you can see forever. Um, it's unobscured by a lot of the stuff. So you you really have a true feeling of how how big that yeah. that state is. The big sky is it. It's weird because it they does just, it does seem bigger up there, doesn't it? It it does, yeah. yeah. So, and then 09, South Dakota, Badlands. Uh, South Dakota, Badlands. That was, you know, I have to say, I think Badlands was my most favorite Primal Quest. So. Uh, the diversity of the the race um, was a heck of a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the prairie paddle was absolutely uh, a disaster. I mean, it was <laughs> horrible. <laughs> it was mind-numbing and hallucinogenic and went on forever and ever and it felt like you were paddling the sky while the river was above you um it was just a really bizarre uh experience but uh, the badlands uh amazing country incredibly tough to navigate A lot of teams got lost out there, and I think, God, who was it? It may have been Dart again. No. 
I can't recall. There was a team that was fairly close on our heels. We finished the race, and um, and then the next morning when we got up, we found out that they still hadn't finished. And then I think it was a good 24, 36 hours after that that we had we saw some teams that came in and said, "Oh yeah, they were out there having a birthday party, <laughs> singing happy birthday to each other," and they had, were just gone. Um, and they ultimately finished, uh, but it was just a really neat, really neat country. Great orienteering, terrific um, topography. Uh, you're you're lucky to live up there. Yeah. Well, I think the I think maybe you said this too, but the big thing here was you had multiple route choices. Yes. You know, as opposed to the if you're in the big mountains, there's usually a pass, and that's kind of where you gotta gotta go and and uh but yeah there's a lot of it's why i was able to surprise a lot of teams because i knew where all the back roads were <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and that's and that's yeah. that's what makes adventure racing fun for me in terms of um rate the races that we do mm-hmm. much prefer the ones that have options that navigation is is really a strong component of how well you do yeah uh, it's really easy to follow a trail that everybody else is following um but for true adventure experience which is which is why i think alaska may be really interesting is that you have you have yeah, it's tactical you know you got to make smart decisions while you're tired yeah yeah so do you do you navigate are you a na- primary navigator i'm not primary i'm number two okay so jason Quinn is our primary navigator and he's uh he's re- i mean he's outstanding a lot of fun to race with. I mean, he's just one of those intuitive guys that I don't know how he knows what he knows, or I don't know how he can navigate on flat water at night. Um, but it's really a comfort to know that you've got a guy that can navigate like that for your team. That's interesting. Um, one more question about Primal Quest. Was, was there a difference in the races when Don took over, or were they just – were they all different enough that you didn't notice any kind of philosophical difference or anything like that? Um, I don't know that I noticed a lot of philosophical differences between the two directors. Uh, I think that from a, a budget standpoint, the initial years, there was a, a lot of corporate money behind yeah. those races. And I, you know, for the time, the technology was state of the art, yeah, and it was it was really well done. And I don't know that the budget was there in in um, in the Don Man years, yeah. Uh, but I would say the race courses were great. I mean, I we had a lot of hard, challenging, fun experiences in in really cool parts of the United States. Yeah, so that's cool. Um, so you mentioned technology. This is something I find interesting. What's the um, what's the one thing that's improved the most since you started in '99, Techn- technology equipment wise? Uh, it's got to be the GPS units. I mean, the first few years when we were racing and we had to carry GPS units, they were like a five a five pound brick. Oh. Um, uh, it's nice to have these little small spots or, mm-hmm. or other devices that really aren't a imposition to racing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the neat things about racing is that technology really isn't as significant a factor is on normal everyday life. And that's part of the appeal is getting out there and having a compass and a map and a, yeah. and a bicycle and, you know, kayak and stuff that you've got to use your, your brain and your brawn to navigate and, um, as opposed to leveraging technology to get things done. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's kind of cool. And I don't know, did you follow any of God's Zone last week? Was it last? Oh yeah, that, they do a they do an amazing job. I got to I got to hand it to those guys, man. They they know how to produce an event for the spectator who doesn't have the luxury of seeing it. Yeah, I would say that's by been by far the best. I mean, it it didn't seem like anybody's spots dropped out and and being able to zoom in on the orienteering course 
online was yeah. was pretty. They set the bar pretty high high for that one, I think. So, yeah, that's that's definitely the gold standard. Yeah, although I think um, the stuff that Maria's got planned for Primal Quest is if 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 it all works and you know there's always that is going to be pretty interesting too. So. Maybe yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I think that that um, the closer we can bring those that are interested in watching to the event in real time, yeah, the more compelling it's going to be to get new people participating mm-hmm. and 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 getting the the interest level up in 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 the United States. I mean, as you know, the sport is is much bigger in other countries than it is yeah. here, and I'd love to see the the ability for media to help generate some additional interest here in the United States. Yeah. Well, I was talking with Michael. Oh, we were just talking about earlier or Arthur's dad, as he's known now, but um, he really thought that by having a, I mean, the world series races are great here, but by having a big marquee event like primal quest will raise awareness in the U S and he said, that's going to help the rest of the world. Cause for whatever reason, if it's big here, it helps everywhere else, which I'm not sure why. But, <laughs> but so he was pretty excited about it coming back too. So. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's good for the sport. It's good for. Um, I mean, here's the deal. I mean, you've got how many people now are participating in in, in mud runs? Yeah. I mean, there's thousands and thousands. And what's the next? You know, what's the next challenge for those that want to continue to challenge themselves? And that's. Yeah. You know, obviously, if I hadn't done that, I don't know that I would have gotten introduced to the sport. Um, so I think anything that we can do as an AR community, assuming we want to help continue to support the uh, the sport, that you got to support the racer, race directors and the, the folks that are willing to put a heck of a lot of time and effort and energy into putting on good events. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. So it feels like it's on an uprise to me. Well, let me ask you this, because you are way more experienced in this, but to me, in 09 with Primal Quest, it it felt kind of um, like the party was over for the race, and it obviously it was, but, and then there was kind of about two years, it didn't seem much, but now it feels like the last three or four years, it's really been on the rise. Is if, Am I making that up in my head, or do you think that's somewhat... A reasonable statement. Um, it's interesting. There's so many more races on the East Coast than there is on the West Coast, and mm-hmm. I don't know the reason for that. There's just other than the permitting process, and yeah. obviously somebody's going to have to pick up the ball and and do some heavy lifting to get the permits and the and you know just the whole thing set up. Um, I think from an expedition standpoint, it's incredibly tough to put one on in the United States because of that permit process. And unfortunately with the various agencies you got to deal with to get the permits, so many times you're limited to just trails. Um, You can't go off trail. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think it's just, it's tough, right? It's that said to have, David be putting on his events in, in Idaho and Alaska and to have Primal Quest coming back. Um, and uh, you, know, you, got three, Cowboy, Rush, you got Cowboy Tough, Tough. You got, you know, obviously the guys that put on Untamed. Um, you know, hopefully all this will, will, will generate continued enthusiasm for the sport. Yeah. Well, we'll hope so. So, um, Couple, couple more questions because you probably want to go get a ride in tonight or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, this is uh, I have to ask this of everybody because people are really interested. But your your best and worst six hours of racing. Okay, um, worst. I'll start with worst. Okay, quite honestly, almost everybody does. Okay, all right. <laughs> See, well, that good. goes to that mindset again, right? <laughs> It's easy. Yeah, really. That's ingrained. I think the worst is always ingrained in you. Um, worst race for me, I, should, I wouldn't say worst race because I actually think it was the best race. Mm-hmm. But my worst time during a race would have been uh, Eco Challenge Fiji. Uh, everybody, I think, in that race ended up getting some 
dysentery and some more violent than others. And I don't know, I think we were day six or seven and mountain biking and just super hot and humid uh, jungles of, of Fiji and, you know, not to gross out your audience, but you know, it's it. coming out both ends, yeah. you know, and mm -hmm. you only have one pair of bike shorts and it's just, it gets ugly really quick. Yeah. Um, and there's no water, and the water that you just drank is what made you sick. Um, so you're super dehydrated. We get to this this checkpoint, and it's more survival mm -hmm. than anything else. I think at that point, you're so decimated both mentally and physically that all I could do is get into a fetal position and try and recover. And you, you feel the flies on you, and you're thinking, how how do you get here? I mean, you're all sense of um, pride, all sense of uh, humanity is just out the window. You're just crumpled up into a, a ball of nothingness while you try and recover. And um, fortunately for me, I had great teammates, and... Um, you know, they nursed me back to health, and we, we actually finished that race. I think it was in uh, ninth place and one of only ten teams to finish the whole course. So that was a, a terrific experience and, and one that I don't think I'll ever see again. Yeah. Um, you you probably was, don't really care to, but if it happens again, you'll probably embrace it, right? I, I honestly think – Half of us are masochistic, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. the, the harder the race is, the more you suffer, the more memorable it is. More, mm -hmm. more memorable it is, and honestly, the that's probably the not only the toughest, but my my most favorite race. Yeah. No. All right. So, what's a good one? Uh, and I know there's I know there's lots of them. So. There, there is, there is. Um, I don't know. I guess most recently, the one I can think of. Oh, I should have said the broken bone one. All right. Anyway, the <laughs> okay. What's okay? What's the broken bone one? You can't just say I should have said the broken bone one. <laughs> okay. All right. So Costa Rica World Championships last year. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you were there or heard the stories, but basically the first mountain bike section was a slog, mm -hmm. uh, pushing and carrying your mountain bike up this trail, uh, jungle trail. You're using air the, quotes for trail, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, and it was essentially a conga line of folks because you couldn't, it was super, super slow. Everybody was agitated because the line was moving slow and everybody's on top of each other. And we get to the top of this and it's raining and it's dark and it's a bomber downhill. So we just tuck our heads and just start flying down. Well, unfortunately, there's a stretch of I want to say concrete, although it wasn't concrete, it felt like concrete, mm -hmm. that was slimed over, and a bunch of us ended up hitting it, and for me, the wheels went right out from underneath me, and I ended up uh, breaking three ribs. Uh, I, I remember and, now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, for those who have broken bones before, you, you know the feeling. The body just mm -hmm. doesn't feel right. Yeah. But it's one of those things that's, a day into the, not even a day into the race, and you're, you've trained, your teammates have trained, you spent a bunch of money, and you just, you gut it out, yeah. right? And so, um, unfortunately, we weren't as fast as we could have been, and Mary and Andy and Jason all were able to help me get through the paddling, which was, which was the absolute worst part of it, huh. where it would start to spasm. Um, but to finish that race, actually complete it and um, and knock it out, I think we got seventh. No, we got eighth or something like that. It was um, it was pretty neat. It was a yeah. it was a great uh, story I can tell my kids. Yeah, and I remember when I I had some footage of you getting out of the boat in the first paddle, and I didn't I, then I didn't know. That you had broken ribs, but in hindsight, looking at it, it's like, oh yeah, that's why he looks like that. 
that's why he's living like that. Yeah. 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 So, it was. It was. It was not fun. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely painful. So okay, what's the best uh, one? Okay, the best one, the most recent one I can think of is uh, we were. This was actually in Costa Rica as well the year before, and we ended with a. I don't know. I think it was like a 14 or 16 hour ocean paddle, and we were paddling to the finish line. And we didn't necessarily have a team in front because Technu had had crushed the course, and there wasn't really any competition behind us. And so it was just a solid, calm paddle to the finish line while the sun was setting, and everything was a, a pink or turquoise calm waters and just the rhythmic the rhythmic paddling and the the spray of the the blades as they um you know as they cut through and and having your teammates paddling next to you as the sun set it was just it was outstanding that that's that sounds cool it was so, so. okay i got just two more quick questions um if you okay so you've had your team meeting. You're going to go do Alaska. So it's six months, six weeks ahead, and you start packing. Are you still packing your gear the night before? Uh, usually the weekend before. Okay. So you're you're uh, a little more organized than everybody else except Mark Latanzi. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, you know what? Lists are a great thing, and and yeah. gear lists uh our lifesavers and and i always find that when i pack the week weekend before mm -hmm. uh, there's always two or three things that i'm missing so it gives me a few days without the stress of uh not having something going to a race to actually obtain it mm. well bummer now i'm gonna have to say there's two people that don't have the correct <laughs> answer <laughs> so okay last question um yep. team bones where'd it come yep. from I knew that was going to come up. Um, I'd love to give you a really cool story, Randy, about the genesis of Team Bones. Uh, the reality is in 1999 when we, uh, a buddy of mine, Dan Rathbun, and I put the team together, we were trying to come up with a name that we could draw a really cool logo on. Um, and Skull and Cos Crossbones was, was really cool for, for us. So <laughs> it started with bones, and um, obviously there's been a, a bunch of references to how skinny we are, and and Doctor Bones with with Jason Quinn um, yeah. over the years. But the reality is, it was nothing more than trying to find a a name that would uh, allow us for a cool logo. Well, hey, it's lasted uh, 16 years, so yeah, I think you've you did it good. <laughs> yeah. Well, this has been um, cool, and uh, I learned some stuff, and that's always a good thing, so I hope everybody else did. So um, always close the podcast by telling people to go fast, take chances, and, and, and have fun, and get your workout in whenever you can, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You got it. All right. Roy, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Randy, we'll see you at the next event. Thank you. Okay, bye. Take care. This is about people's problems. Uh, sometimes it's nice, you know, if somebody comes up to me, you know, and they got a problem, you know, and I help them with it, you know, or they'll help me with my problems, but some people come up and they got all these problems, you know, and they tell them to you for about an hour and then they walk away laughing and you're stuck with their problems for the rest of the day. <laughs> so I wrote a song to explain to these people my position. It's an unusual one. <laughs> Strolling down a highway with my shoes in my hand. I don't talk much, I'm a quiet man. Beauty and silence both run deep and I'm running like crazy while you are asleep. You got news for me. I got nothing for you Don't pin your blues on me Just go ahead and do Whatever you wish to Last Monday night 
I saw a fight between Wednesday and Thursday over Saturday night. Tuesday asked me what was going on. I said, Sunday's in the meadow and Friday's in the corn. You got news for me. I got nothing for you. Don't pin your blues on me. Just go ahead and do whatever you wish to. Hocus pocus, maladjusted. Don't you think fat tears get rusted? Steady losing means you ain't using what you really think is right. You got news for me. I got nothing for you. Don't pin your blues on me. Just go ahead and do whatever you wish to. Oodles of light, what a beautiful sight. Both of God's eyes are shining tonight. Raising beams of incredible dreams. And I am a quiet man. Oodles of light, what a beautiful sight. Both of God's eyes are shining tonight. Raising beams of incredible dreams. And I am a quiet man. <laughs> 